standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior. Standing, standing, I'm standing on the promises of God. Thank you, Dave. Continuing chronologically through the entire Bible, Solomon has built the temple. He has written his Proverbs. Now he's quoting others. This is very important as we progress. He's quoting other people in this section according to Proverbs 22, verse 17. We're now in Proverbs 23, beginning to verse 17. The next chapters, we're chapter away from where he began this. So we're moving quite quickly through the Proverbs of others. Proverbs 23, 17. Let not thine heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all day long. Very, very important command here. Do not let yourself envy sinners. Don't let yourself envy sinners. Why does he have to tell us to do this? Because this is natural for us to do. It is natural for us to envy anybody. Why do we envy others? Because they have what we would like to have. We know that we don't deserve it. We are aware we haven't done what it takes to get it. But man, it would sure be nice. But when it comes to unsaved people, it's very tempting to envy them because they haven't done anything for the Lord. And we look at it, it's like, all right, why would they have that and they've done nothing for God? Be thou in the fear, that's the respect, of the Lord all the day long. These are in the same verse. Don't let yourself envy sinners, but respect God. Redirect your focus on the God who knows what He's doing. When we're tempted... To look at other people and what they have, immediately take that as a cue to focus back on God and the fact that He knows what He's doing. That is the tool that God gives us in not envying sinners. It seems so simple, does it not? It seems so basic, but it takes focus. It takes focus. We have to decide to do this. Like Asaph in Psalm 73. By the way, Asaph wrote Psalm 73 probably while the writer of Proverbs 23, 17 was alive. In fact, the writer of Proverbs 23, 17 probably sang Asaph's Psalm 73. So why is it he's got this brand new powerful word of God and still he has to say it again because this is something that's very very difficult for all of us to deal with he's saying remember Psalm 73 he's saying don't let yourself slip up 18 for surely there is an end just like Asaph said Thy expectation shall not be cut off, just like Asaph said. What is thine expectation? It's much better than the thing that we're wanting. How do I know that? Because that's how God operates. God does what is best. We don't often understand that it's best. 
it is best. We have to decide to focus on this. Standing on the promises. If we don't identify the promises, we're not going to stand on them. We're going to fall in spite of them. All things work together for good. Not to everybody, but to them that love God, who, by the way, are the chosen, but non-chosen don't love God because they don't have the ability to love God. If it is good, I can stand on it because the Bible says to stand on it. I don't envy because the Bible says that my expectation shall not be cut off. What is my expectation? Jesus said, I have not seen nor ear heard nor any, it's not either to the human mind what God's prepared for those who love him. I think that was Jesus. Who said that, Wade? That was from Corinthians. So that would be Paul then. Yeah. But inspired by the Holy Spirit so that, that, that it's God's word. We can't possibly imagine what the expectation when it's realized is actually going to be like. But we have to decide. I'm not going to envy others. On the way to church, we pass at least 50 churches. At least 50. And not many of them are Baptist. The ones that are Baptist probably are not our kind of Baptist. Some of them start earlier. Some of them actually start later than us. And so we get to see some of the parking lots as we're coming in. There are a couple of churches that they pack those places out to where it's like if each car only had one person, they're jammed in that building. If each car only had one person. And it's real easy for me. We don't talk about this in the car, but I, I can imagine probably it enters into other people's minds. It's real easy for us to get a little jealous. It's like, why do we have a crowd like that? What is it that they're doing to draw that crowd? Am I willing to do that? The answer always come back to the same place. Whatever it is, I'm not willing to do. Because I know what God has called me to do. God has called me to teach His Word chronologically through. Beyond that, who shows up is up to Him. I have to decide... I'm going to trust the promises of God. I'm going to teach the promises of God. And whoever shows up just shows up. If we get a big crowd, great. If we get a small crowd, it doesn't matter because God's the one that makes things happen the way He wants them to happen. As we think this way, thy expectation shall not be cut off. We can relax regardless of what's going on around us. It doesn't matter what's going on around us. That's between them and God. What is going on in my life how am I responding to what's in my life? That's what brings about the, the blessing or the curse. And it can happen in the life of a Christian. We can actually get cursed. Our finances can get cursed. Um, churches can get cursed. Um, how am I responding to my situation? Forget everybody else's situation. Folks, it will be worth it to do the right thing in our situation regardless of what's going on around us. To me, one of the most encouraging books of the Bible is the prophet Isaiah. Love Isaiah. 
Isaiah, as a young man, volunteered to speak for God. God told Isaiah something that's quoted six times in the New Testament. Six times the New Testament quotes God's answer to him. God's answer was said, okay, go, but nobody's going to listen. How encouraging is that? Then he goes on to say why they're not going to listen. He says, I'm going to harden them so they won't listen. How encouraging is that? It's extremely encouraging because you can't fail. In a situation to where you've got to do the right thing at the right time in the right way or else they will all leave, that's scary. But when you know you're doing what God wants you to do and the, the end, the result is in His hand, you can relax and just focus on doing what the Lord wants you to do. Verse 19. <clears throat> Hear thou, my son, and be wise. Listen. Listen. Don't wait to learn it on your own. Listen and be wise. Guide thine heart in the way. Decide to take the wisdom and use it before you've had the experience. I saw a picture one time of a fish that had tried to eat another fish. The other fish was too big and they both died. Okay? The caption of the picture said, "Is experience is something we get right after we need it. Okay? Yeah. Wisdom is experience before we have it. Wisdom is better than experience because it goes on what God says is true. Even wisdom outside of Scripture is worth, is worth paying attention to because it's the experience of others. We don't have to wait for experience. Hear and be wise. Don't wait for experience. Guide your heart in the way. If your dad and your mom and all your friends tell you don't overeat, don't overeat. Don't try it and then find out, oh no, I messed up. It don't have to be. Be not amongst wine-bibbers. Drunkards is what that is. Among riotous eaters of the flesh, what is a riotous eater of flesh? It's not a zombie, but that's exactly what it sounds like. A riotous eater of flesh sounds just like a zombie. Riotous means literally out of control. Eaters means eating. Flesh is food. Okay, this is overeaters. Okay, be not among drunks or overeaters. Both overindulge. Both of them overindulge. That is their problem. It's not so much what they're dealing with because Jesus dealt with both of those. Jesus did drink, but he never overindulged. Jesus did eat. He never overindulged. So the problem in both cases is overindulgence. Don't be among people who overindulge. For the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty. One of these makes sense. The other one does not to me. And I had to think about that. Why? Why does the drunkard come to poverty? Well, that one's easy. He spends money he doesn't have. He's not earning money. He's making bad decisions. Drunks are almost always in a bad financial situation. The glutton, the overeater, though, why will he come to poverty? What does it hurt if there's plenty? Let me give you an example. America is jam-packed with food. And a lot of it is very, very cheap. If there's plenty, what's wrong with overeating? 
why does it come to poverty? This is something I did not consider. I knew that gluttony was a problem, but in my mind, gluttony is a problem like it was at Corinth where one was taking what was supposed to be going to another one. So this guy overindulged, which is wrong. This guy got nothing. But if there's plenty for everybody, what's wrong with everybody overindulging? If there's plenty, you're not going to get drunk. You're not going to lose self-control with overeating. What's the problem with it? God has not provided too much. That's the problem. God has not provided too much. If there's extra, if there is extra, it's for later or someone else. Typically, though, it's for later. We don't have a problem stealing food from one person to another in this country, typically, particularly not among Christians. Christians, typically, we want to everybody to be well-fed and we'll give to even the bums to make sure they're well-fed. But if there's plenty for everybody, it is not uncommon, listen to this, it is not uncommon to go to a dinner on the ground and watch preachers gorge themselves. And I submit to you that's wrong. shouldn't happen. Why? God has not provided too much. If there's extra, it's for later. Why did God provide the extra food? It wasn't so I could enjoy it. I can enjoy the proper amount. But the extra is not there just so I can overindulge. Overindulging is wrong. What am I supposed to do with this extra food? Take it and give it to somebody. It's surprising the people that would just love to have that little bit of extra bit that we just decide we're going to just shove down because they so good. Right? What an opportunity to give. I live in an RV park. Because it's an RV park, it has a guard. The guard is constantly giving food away. Where does he get it? All the people giving him food. You know where they get it? It's extra from wherever they were at. All that extra can turn into a blessing if we will simply use it the way God intended us to use it. We may not know exactly why there's more there, but it's always wrong to overindulge. So if I'm tempted to overindulge, what question should I ask? What does God want me to do with the extra? Joseph was in prison. Two people had dreams, one a baker, one a butler. Both their dreams made a statement about the future. The future held for Egypt seven years of massive produce, massive. And then seven years of absolute famine. During the seven years of plenty, God used Joseph to store up so much of that that there was enough to feed everybody the second seven years. In doing that, though, to get the food that Joseph saved, he only saved 20% of what was produced. The other 80% produced during that seven years was used up. How is it that in the second seven years, they survived on 20% 
But the first seven years, they consumed 80%. They overindulged. And I submit to you, were it not for Joseph, they would have eaten the whole thing in the first seven years. In the second seven years, there would have been nothing left over. Why has God given this extra? What could I do with it besides gorge myself? This is something that we need to consider. Even in something as simple as food, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do so to the glory of God. Make God the thing that you shine on. Make God the reason you did it. Whatever it is. If there's extra, what does God want me to do with this? You'll be shocked at what God might do with it. Drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags considered con con contained in the same verse says, same with sleep. Same with sleep. What is the proper amount of sleep? That's between you and God, first of all. That's between you and God. Science tells us eight hours. For some people, eight hours is too much. For some people, eight hours is not enough. But we all know, typically, what is the right amount of sleep for ourselves. We don't have to have somebody tell us. We know what it is. If, even on the weekend, I lay in bed and sleep the day away, why did God give me this time? Does He want me to use it to sleep? And He may want you to do it. Okay, Jesus took time to rest. If... I've had a really tough week and I need a few extra hours of sleep and God lets me know it's okay to do that, go right ahead. But people who sleep, sleep, sleep all the time, they get in the habit of sleeping the day away. Next thing you know, they're not providing for their family. That is the problem. They are overindulging in sleep. Why does God give me this extra, whatever the extra is? I promise you, it's not because He just had too much and wants you to enjoy it. He wants us to enjoy the proper amount. By the way, eating a small amount on a regular basis gives you just as much enjoyment as eating a large amount on a regular basis. Our brain doesn't know the difference. What does God want me to be doing with this extra time? What could God do with this extra time? Verse 22. Hearken unto thy father that begat thee, and despise not thy mother when she is old. Or you might get executed. By the way, that's a fact. That is a fact. Hearken to your father that begat thee, and despise not thy mother when she is old, or you might get executed according to Deuteronomy 21, verse 18. If a man have a stubborn and rebellious son, or a son that doesn't hearken, which will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and that when they have chastened him, they have done the discipline part, will not hearken unto them. They, the child will not do what is right. Then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him, bring him out unto the elders of his city and unto the gate of his place. Get him out at a big public place, and they shall say unto the elders of the city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not hearken. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. And all the men of the city shall stone him with stones. This is the law of Moses. And 
the writer of this proverb was very well aware of the law of Moses. That he died. So shalt thou put evil away from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear, or they will not do the same thing because they don't want the same consequence. By the way, this is the reason we have consequences, is it gives people a reason not to do the bad thing. If people continue to get away with what they're doing, they're going to keep doing what they're doing, only a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. Solomon and this writer cover this idea of obedience to your parents a lot. It's all over Proverbs. This leads me to believe that this law was not being enforced. And I submit to you that not enforcing it is the problem. If that law was being enforced, this would not be all over Proverbs because there wouldn't be a problem. This law could not have been being enforced. By the way, when consequences are ignored, the offender is emboldened. What does that mean? Particularly in business, legal matters, people who get away with bending the law get bolder and bolder and bolder. It's in their sin nature. They can't stop. I got away with it last time. What can I get away with this time? What can I get away with this time? And typically, when the hammer shuts down on them, it's because they got away with it before and it wouldn't have been this bad if they had just been disciplined before. The sin will grow. It absolutely will grow. Be aware of this the next time we're tempted to road rage. And this is something that I really, really work on myself with. I'm easily angered myself. And there have been more than one occasion where I thought I might get hit because both vehicles were stopped and I was saying things and he was saying things two different times. A long time ago, by the way. After both of those, I asked myself, what did you gain? You didn't gain anything. But in studying for this passage, it occurred to me, if they will do it to me, they're going to do it to everybody, and eventually they're going to do it to the wrong person, and they're going to pay for it. I don't have to be the one that makes them pay for it now. He cut me off in traffic, so what? Let him. Let him cut off, and he's just going to get emboldened and emboldened and emboldened until finally somebody's going to give him what he deserves. Hopefully it's a cop. Maybe it's an accident. I don't know. God's in control of that, but it's not up to me to punish him for whatever it is he did to me. I loved your honesty Wednesday night. I still have problem with road rage. That's honest. Wonderful thing. But you try not to. This will help you with road rage. Remembering that if they will do it to me, they're going to do it to anybody, and eventually they're going to do it to the wrong person. Let God be responsible for what happens to them. Eventually, they're going to get caught, and it probably will be something much bigger than what it is they just did to you. Or we can give in to the temptation and make it way worse. God does not use anger, ever. Scripture says that anger worketh not the righteousness of God. God never uses anger. Jesus never got angry. Not to the point of being out of control. All right? the, the whole turning over the tables in the temple is another story, and we can talk about that later. He did not lose control with that. 
It never ever serves God's purposes for us to act in emotion. Let it subside. What do God, what do you want me to be doing? And make sure that we know what that is and then act on it. That's what works the righteousness of God. 23. <clears throat> buy the truth and sell it not. How do you buy truth? It's free on the internet. Yeah, boy. Nothing is free. Nothing is free. What price do we have to pay for knowledge? First of all, we've got to get the source of the knowledge. We may have to go to church. We may have to open our Bible. We may have to pay for the internet connection. But there's a lot of truth available to people that they just won't pay the price to get it. Buy the truth and sell it not. Don't let it slip away. Do what it takes to get it and don't let it slip away. Also, wisdom and instruction and understanding, folks, those are four different things. Four different things. Truth is not necessarily wisdom, which is not necessarily instruction, which is not necessarily understanding. Get all four. And there will be times when you have one of the four, there'll be times you have two of the four. So three rarely you might have all four of the four. And almost always that's going to be scripture. But go after proper reaction to situations. It's worth it. The father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice. He that begetteth a wise child shall have joy of him. There is a very real benefit to ignoring the road rage. There's a very real benefit of waiting until the emotions are gone. There's a very real benefit to others that are going to find out about the situation. And in the same way, there's a very real curse on those that not only get caught, but are surrounded by those that got caught. We hate it when a politician gets caught. But we expect them to. We expect them to. There's a curse to doing the wrong thing, even beyond just the consequences of that particular act. The father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice. He that begetteth a wise child shall have joy of him. Thy father and thy mother shall be glad, and she that bear thee shall rejoice. This goes back a few verses ago where it talks about... Um, um, well, verse 22. It goes back to verse 22. You don't have to be the bad child. You can be the good child. There is benefit beyond just the action of what we're doing. What if one day what I'm doing gets put on a screen for everyone to see? By the way, I believe it's going to. At the judgment seat, I believe everything's going to be put up on a screen. I used to think, and you're not going to like this, okay? I used to think that sins are completely gone and will never be brought up again. I'm not sure about that one. And Wade showed me a couple of passages that lead me to believe maybe they will be brought up again, but as they're brought up, Jesus says, I paid for that. Jesus says, I paid for that. And there's no condemnation because of it. I could be wrong on that. In fact, I hope I am wrong. Okay? But what is it in us that doesn't want those things brought up? This was powerful. What is it in us that doesn't want those sins brought up? It's pride. And pride is wrong. It's pride is wrong. Okay? Would it not bring more glory to God 
for it to be revealed and then reveal that Jesus paid for it and what he had to do to get it. And then we still stand there saying, yeah, I don't deserve here. I'm really, really, really worse than you thought I was. There is power in forgiveness. There's even more power in people watching the forgiveness given. And I think there's a possibility that those sins are not going to be held against us, but the whole idea of they're never going to be brought up again, there's some passages that indicate that may not be exactly accurate. Again, what is the only reason we don't want to brought up? Pride. That's the only reason we wouldn't want to brought up. So a second sin causes us not to want the first sin to be revealed. What if they're both revealed? Now it's like, oh, that pride, 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 pride. And everybody's saying, man, you are a prideful person, weren't you? But just because we were hoping our sins didn't get brought up again, okay? God absolutely is not going to let judgment, condemnation come on us. But I'm not sure that it's just going to be forgotten completely. We'll talk about that later. By the way, if I'm wrong on this, it's Wade's fault. Wade taught this to me. <laughs> The next section is long. We've got eight minutes left. I can't do the next section in less than 30. So we're going to end a little bit early today. Um, there's a real question I want you to ask yourself. Why did God give me the extra eight minutes? What does God want me to do with the extra eight minutes? There's a reason we have too much time today. And I think that the Lord may have given us the tools to know what to do with that time. Ask that question. Father, thank you so much for your word and how it guides us, even in the smallest decisions. Please help us to search for what you want. Help us to search, even in the small decisions, what's going to bring you glory. Help us not to be so self-centered that we we just scoff down everything we get our hands on. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.